Well, good morning, folks. I want to share a word with you on this Pentecost Sunday, and I thought a good place for us to start is, why do we celebrate this feast day? Why is Pentecost such a, a time of joy for both Jews and Christians everywhere? Why uh, is it the uh, second most important, uh, most significant of the holy days for us Christians? Well, I think a, a good way to get at that is to uh, ask ourselves another question. A question about how we are to fulfill our mission as the church. Uh, you know, we, I've said many times that our mission is to, uh, to, to live with God and each other in holy fellowship in such a way that we draw all the world into God's love. Well, how do we do that? How do we know how to live with God and each other in such a way? Well, the answer to that is what Pentecost celebrates. And to, to get at that, I wanted to, um, to, to dig down into uh, really three kinds of answers. Uh, first, a historical answer, then a theological answer, and then an ethical answer uh, in order to really get an understanding of why we are so filled with joy, particularly on this day of, of Pentecost. The historical answer begins with, with, with just a, a recognition of what the 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 feast day actually was originally it was an agricultural celebration celebrating the harvest in particular the wheat harvest and uh um over time uh you know the, the of course the, the celebration would have been you know a celebration of thanksgiving for uh primarily for just the blessing of of bread on the table literally with the wheat but uh, it wasn't just a, a, a harvest of the wheat. Uh, at the same time, there'd be a harvest of orchards and vineyards and other things. Uh, uh, the, the, the harvest of, of, the, of the very first harvest of wheat usually coincided about seven weeks after uh, the, the, the celebration we call um, Passover. And so that's where we get the name Pentecost. It means 50 days, and the time is set in... in uh, uh, Deuteronomy and in Exodus, excuse me, Deuteronomy and Numbers, uh, as uh, being a, a week of weeks, and hence in, it's the Shavuot, the uh, uh, the the fiftieth day after Passover. So, uh, but the, the historical celebration as an agricultural um, period, a period of Thanksgiving for the agricultural blessings over time in Jewish thought, certainly by the time of Jesus had evolved into a broader celebration, not just of, of the blessings on the table, uh, you know, physically manifest, but also the blessings uh, that go along with it, the blessings uh, that, that God doesn't just leave us alone in the sense of saying, give me uh, your, the first fruits of your harvest in, in Thanksgiving because I'm the one who provides those. He also tells us how to live, how to go about that. And so he does that through Torah, through God's instruction. Uh, which uh, for the Jews and for us would have been God's uh, law revealed certainly at Mount Sinai, but also God's word uh, revealed through uh, the, pro the prophets and through the uh, midrash on their teachings over time. Um, and so it's, God, it's a celebration of God's revelation. And with regard to the agricultural celebrations, it would have been uh, God's instruction on how to go about that harvest. And so there would, have, there would have been included in God's instruction uh, rules pertaining to how we uh, achieve a fair and just society so that there's a rule governing, uh, you know, governing gleanings. You know, you, you don't glean your fields. You leave um, 
the edges of those fields uh, available to uh, the, the uh, alien and the widow and the orphan so that they might also reap God's blessings even though they may not be able to uh, work in those fields anymore. Very compassionate thought. And also, uh, part of God's instruction was that uh, uh, we don't work uh, seven days a week, but we take time to celebrate time with God. We take time to celebrate the Sabbath. We take time to rest. And so all rest, not just us humans, but also uh, animals uh, who, who participate in the harvest, rest at least every Sabbath day. And so uh, from, from that kind of thing, you get a, uh, a fair and just uh, way of life, a life that is manageable. And so over time, that uh, that kind of celebration of the God's instruction pertaining to the harvest uh, was expanded such that it became a celebration of all of the revelation, uh, the means by which God teaches us how to live with God and each other. So that's the historical answer. Now let's talk about a theological answer. Um, and, and I think this one is, is certainly important because it gets it, it begins with, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be uh, God's creatures? Uh, the people who uh, understand that we have uh, no meaning apart from our relationship with God. Um, and so Pentecost recognizes that God and God's divine self-establishing determined that uh, there is this eternal movement by God. Uh, pre-temporally, God willed that all creation would be eternally in a particular relation to our Creator. A relation of action in which God moves eternally towards God's creation. And, and, and God also willed that the very being of all of God's creatures, whether they're humans, animals, or plant life, uh, entail a relatedness to God and to each other that is essential to our nature. A relation of action that meets God uh, in God's uh, movement towards us with a symphonic and reciprocal movement towards our Creator. So there's a, a symphony of all of creation that is responding to God's graciousness. Uh, and precisely because of, of that, humans are essentially relational. Uh, we are ourselves when we are moving towards God and towards each other and towards all of the, uh, our fellow created beings. And, and our reality consists of, in other words, we are real. We are who we are meant to be. Our lives are full and, and are human in our case uh, when we are actually doing this action. When we are not doing this action, when we're not doing this movement towards God, uh, symphonically, uh, you know, with each other, uh, well, then we are not being human. And uh, so that's what it means, this reciprocal and symphonic movement towards our Creator. And so this is the thing I'm describing is known as the covenant of grace, where uh, we live in such a way. Now, Torah is basically God's revelation of how to do this to how to do this movement. It's God's revelation of our steps in this holy dance. And for that teaching, for that, for God's ongoing revelation, it's not a static revelation, as we will see shortly, but a, a dynamic revelation uh, that teaches us how to do our part in the holy dance. And for, for that, uh, because it's teaching us what it means to be human, uh, as we go about the process of being human, we celebrate God's providence. Now, an ethical answer. And to get at that, I want to uh, have us uh, consider uh, a case. There's a case before us that's just arising in the, in, you know, with our Supreme Court. It's just 
uh, granted the decision that it will uh, consider uh, a, an abortion case out of the state of Mississippi in which they outlaw, uh, they ban um, abortions after the, the uh, 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 15th week uh, that, are, that are not due to um, particular conditions in the fetus or due to the, to the uh, potential risk of life uh, to the mother. Uh, and so this is going to be granted. And so we, once again, we're going to be um, discussing as a society, and it's going to be something that's going to in, you know, be a, very much a part of our daily politics, is this decision about what does it mean to be a nation that, that, um, that, that says yes to life uh, and yet finds a place for uh, abortion. How do we go about even thinking about it? And there's the sense that we have not had peace with with the decision that our Supreme Court made uh, back in 1973. Now, my point today is not to, to um, you know, come out on, on a pish, uh, an opinion on what the Supreme Court should do. Uh, the, the Episcopal Church has, a, has a, a large body of doctrine on how we think about the topic of abortion, and I would, you know, refer you to that. However, what I wanted to get is there's this, these, these questions that come about in our, in our life and, and where we, we say, well, how do we as Christians even think about this problem? Because Scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't deal with the details of this phenomenon, in this case, of, of abortion. It doesn't deal with a lot of the phenomena of our current life. Uh, and so, uh, so how are we to think about these things? And we begin with the idea that uh, from the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And from that, we, we derive this understanding that God's eternal law, God's eternal law, the Logos, was, is, and will always be, has been with us. And that all of our laws and customs that we, um, we use to guide our own human behavior, our communal behavior, and our individual behavior, uh, are derived from their derivative works of our sense of what it means to live with God and what pleases God, passed down from generation to generation, dialectically discerned and amended over time, such that in, in our laws and our customs, whether we're at the communal or family level, uh, they, they all have embedded in them this sense of what God has been teaching us. Um, and uh, because, that we, because of that manner, of, of discerning them, uh, and the fact that we are doing that discerning and we are finite creatures, they are inherently ambiguous. We inherently get some of it right and inherently get some of it wrong. Uh, and so it's always a dialectical process of our discerning God's Word. But the point of that is that uh, good laws uh, tend to be expressed in very general language. And the more far-reaching the consensus to which we listen as we try to figure out what to do, well, more, the more generally that judgment will be expressed in custom and law. The, the more far-reaching it is, the, the more general the language. And, and, and uh, so in other words, it's not as particular, it's not as, as, uh, it's not as discreetly reaching into the particular situations. And as a result of that, universal laws and traditions lead inherently to inequity. Uh, when we try to apply a, a law, uh, we always reach uh, situations where the law uh, seems to say, well, this can't be what God would want. And we've just encountered in our work through the Gospel of Mark, you know, several of those examples where Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you guys know the Sabbath was made for, for man, not man for the Sabbath? 
Uh, and so Jesus again and again challenged our general answers, uh, our universal answers that the Pharisees were given, uh, were giving uh, to questions that were everyday problems. You know, if I'm hungry, can I eat? Can I do the work of of eating, uh, eating, you know, and harvesting corn and cutting corn in a field? If if someone is sick on Sabbath, can I do healing? And, and Jesus again and again will challenge our very generalist uh, uh, responses that we've encoded into our understanding of God's law and says, no, God intended for us to uh, use our minds and to, and to, and to discern uh, the intent behind uh, God's law in order to figure God's will in a particular situation. And, and because when we don't do that, what we end up doing are things that don't make sense from a justice perspective. Universalist reasoning fails to achieve the good that God's law intends because it fails to attend to the material circumstances that really ought to shape our reasoning. And therefore, we need help. We need help in recognizing the actions that manifest the good in each and every particular situation. And that leads us to our understanding of uh, what we celebrate today with the Pentecost. And so we have in our text today from Romans, uh, Paul talking about how how all of created order is laboring towards the to, towards the point at which we all manifest the good that God desires us to manifest, so that we are fully what we were called to be. And uh, and, and and God has sent along a companion, the Paraclete, the one who comes alongside to to help us discern God's will. And so Paul writes in in our text today, in the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints, that's us, consistent with God's will. In other words, the Spirit uh, prays on our behalf as we seek to uh, discern what God's will is. And then in Gospel of John, our, our reading today, uh, it's, you know, Jesus makes this very promise. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. And so the answer to the question of how we know what in each and every moment is God's will, what we, how do we know, uh, how do we have the possibility of knowing, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's given in our text today. It's, it's that Jesus, has, Jesus, who is the Word, has sent Jesus' Spirit to be a part of us, to be persistently a part of our lives, uh, and that Spirit prays on our behalf and helps us to recognize the truth about what God's will is in a particular moment. And so uh, these general answers uh, are something that are enshrined in our traditions and customs, and they are good, but yet we've been given these brains and the Spirit to help us discern in the particular case what we ought to do. And that's what we celebrate today. That's the good news because it means that we're not alone. We're never left to ourselves to guess how to live with each other and with God and fellowship. For God has sent God's Spirit to be with us. And that's the celebration that Pentecost has is, is always been about for Jews and Christians. It's this gift of God's teaching. And it means that God is with us. Just like on Christmas, Pentecost truly is a celebration of God with us. And in this case, in a particular way, through the gift, the persistent gift of God's Holy Spirit.
And what better news can I give on this day than just to celebrate that wonderful, wonderful blessing. Be with the Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.